Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Park Church Podcast. Uh, I'm James Lapine, your host, and I'm glad that you guys are with us today. Our guest on the show is Amy Peterson, aka Amy Lapine Peterson, and I promise that I will stop interviewing family members after this podcast, but uh, my sister has uh, a book coming out February 1st called Dangerous Territory, My Misguided Quest to Save the World. So I wanted to have her on to talk about this book, and uh, if you're interested in uh, being a missionary, uh, if you're interested in the concept of missions trips, whether those are long-term or short-term, if you just want to hear more about the history of uh, missionaries and missions trips, Um, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with her. Um, And as always, if you do uh, like the show, hop into iTunes and rate and review us there. That'll help other people find the show. Um, So yeah, we're going to hop into the interview with Amy now. Thanks for having me on, Jimmy. Hey, sister. How are you doing? (laughs) Sorry, I called you Jimmy. You're James now. No, no. You call me whatever you want. That's fine. (laughs) How's it going? What's up? It's going good. Um, yeah, I'm just sitting in my office. I'm actually holding my first copy of the book, which is super exciting. Ooh, it just yeah. arrived yesterday. So um, I, I don't think it'll be sending out to people who pre-ordered until February 1st, but it's fun to be able to hold it in my hands. That's got to be a good feeling. Yes. Yeah. You said something the other day about um, uh, giving birth to a book. <laughs> what did you yeah, say? I think what I said is that there is a, a weight gain when you're writing a book that is similar to pregnancy weight gain. <laughs> so, yeah, um, producing a book has many similarities to producing a baby, and one of them is the pregnancy weight gain. Well, but unfortunately, when you have a baby, those pounds just melt off afterwards. When you have a book, I don't think so far it's not working in the same way. <laughs> Well, I I am excited for uh, for people to finally get uh, this book in your hands. You let me read a very early copy of it, I guess, over a year ago now, something like that. Yeah, I think you and your wife, EA, both read it yep. a while back. Yep, and it is so good, um, and it makes me wish that I would have uh, waited to try and write a book because I know that you've read stuff that I tried to write early and, earlier, and, uh, and uh, it seems like maybe the older you get and the more experiences you have that you, uh, you have something better to say. Um, so, um, well, I don't know about that. I mean, you and I, you and I actually did kind of a similar thing cause you wrote a kind of a book manuscript about a trip you took when you were 22. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what mine is too. The yeah. difference is that I wrote it all in my journal when I was 22 and then came back to it 10 years later and was like, I think maybe there's something here that I can shape into something else. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's still time for that. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe I'll sit on mine for 10 years and then come back to it. We'll see. <laughs> it's a good strategy. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, for people who, who aren't familiar, who they don't just know who my sister is, uh, but sorry, not to belittle you, you have a following outside of this, but probably uh, Park Church people are not as familiar with Amy Lapine Peterson. Can you give us uh, a short a short bio of you? Yeah, sure. Um, well, right now I live in rural Indiana. I work part-time with the honors program at Taylor University. And so in that role, I do some teaching, um, I do some mentoring of students, and I help 
organize events, bring speakers to campus, and also organize international trips. And usually every year I get to take students on an international trip and kind of help them develop their cross-cultural skills. And um, so I do that about 20 to 30 hours a week, about 20 to 30 hours a week. And I'm also a mom. I have kids who are seven and five in second grade and kindergarten, and they are a lot of fun. Um, and I've been here in Indiana. Well, and of course I'm a writer. Um, and apart from this book, I've done some writing for various outlets, um, Christianity Today, Books and Culture, Art House America. Uh, and I also write for the daily devotional, Our Daily Bread. Um, we've been here in, in Indiana for uh, so long, so much longer than I thought we would be here, <laughs> like seven years, I guess. Okay. Um, But yeah, it's a really long time. Uh, I graduated from college from Texas A&M with a degree in English literature. And after that, I spent two years teaching English as a second language in Southeast Asia. And that's kind of the story that's in my book. Um, So it's not all about missions necessarily, but it's also about uh, like experiencing disillusionment with God and um, questioning the faith you've grown up with and how you work through that and um, come out of sort of a dark night of the soul, which I think is something that most Christians can identify with, whether or not they've um, gone overseas. Yep. But so I spent those two years in Southeast Asia. And while I was there, I met Jack, who would become my husband. And um, so he was also teaching ESL. And we got married in 2006, and he's been uh, teaching ESL. Uh, we, we lived in Seattle for a while, and then we've been here in Indiana, where he's the director of the ESL program at Taylor University. Um, yeah, so that's a short bio of how I got where I am, who I am. That's good. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, and ESL, did you say that's English as a second language? Oh, yeah, I yeah. didn't say, but good point. <laughs> Not everyone great. knows that acronym. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, and we uh, we do have a lot of Taylor grads and A and M grads at, at Park Church, so I'm sure you've already made friends oh, nice. just by mentioning those things. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about the book then. Uh, again, it's called Dangerous Territory: My Misguided Quest to Save the World, and uh, it's up for pre order now on Amazon. Uh, it'll come out February first, yep. and and of course we'll link to it uh, in the show notes. Um, but yeah, you gave us a little bit of an idea there. It's about missions. It's about uh, disillusionment, dark night of the soul, uh, maybe your faith becoming your own, uh, later in life or, or could you tell us a little bit more about the, the arc? Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up reading missionary biographies. We had a bunch around the house stories, um, that were written for children, um, or for your early readers about people like Amy Carmichael and um, Gladys Allward and George Mueller, uh, Hudson Taylor, Jim Elliott. And when I read those stories as a child, I thought, the, these are the most glamorous, exciting adventure stories I have ever read. Mm. Um, and I really had a desire to be one of those people, one of those sort of the greatest, the super spiritual Christians, the people who were adventurers and who saw miracles. Um, and and as I grew up, I, I kind of got this feeling from the church that for a woman, um, a woman couldn't be a pastor in the churches we grew up in. Uh, 
but a woman could be a missionary. And so mm-hmm. I thought my, my best chance of spiritual greatness is to go on the mission field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to frame it as like entirely um, this sort of prideful, like desire to be great. That was definitely part of it. But I think there's also a real sincere um, desire to share what I believed was the truth mm-hmm. and what I believed was, you know, um, I, I wanted to share God's love with the world. Mm-hmm. So after college, I mean, I had a variety of motivations, but one of the motivations was definitely what I call in the book, this missionary myth. which is, you know, calling it a myth doesn't mean that it's not true. Uh, What it means is that it's a story that through time has been repeated until it's um, become kind of iconic. And so the missionary myth is that um, about the greatness you can achieve, the spiritual greatness you can achieve by traveling to a foreign country to share God's love. And... Uh, so like I said, I, I had all these journals from my two years over there, and I used those when I was writing the book. But also I started rereading a lot of those missionary biographies and then reading like some missiology and some books um, that contemporary thinkers have written about the right way to do missions or what missions is. Hmm. And I learned some really interesting stuff about the beginnings of this whole missionary myth. Um, so... The first missionary story that became really popular in America was the story of David Brainerd. Mm-hmm. And he was a missionary to Native Americans for about three years. And um, he was a friend of Jonathan Edwards, the famous uh, preacher who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Um, and so he preached to Native Americans for three years, and then he grew sick and he died. And after he died, uh, Jonathan Edwards edited his journals that he had left behind and sort of um, edited them into this glowing, heroic tale. Uh, and it became one of like the, the best-selling books. Actually, it was the best-selling of all Jonathan Edwards' books. Hmm. Um, people were just enraptured with this idea of... Um, a missionary who, and these like tales grew up about him, like snakes would refrigerate him, or he prayed so long on his knees with his hands clasped that then like he couldn't bend his legs or flex his fingers anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so he became kind of this like frontier hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that his story was edited, that kind of inspired the first generation of American missionaries and a lot of them went overseas kind of hoping to have the same experience that he had had Mm -hmm. and um yeah so it was interesting to read about some of those origins of the missionary myth as i considered like the way that those stories had uh, pushed me to want to go overseas myself yeah it's it's this hero like as i read uh about the missionary myth in your book it reminded me of the hero narrative that we see throughout TV shows and books and movies and popular culture. Uh, you have this solitary figure who leaves their community to go on some sort of uh, quest. <laughs> I guess to use the word quest, but some sort of mission or quest, or they, they have to step outside of their comfort to do something hard to achieve some sort of thing. And then maybe come back to their community to share about everything that they've learned. Does yeah. That... It's just like a Christian version of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Totally. Yeah. And, and so, um, and that storytelling method works, which is maybe 
why why we saw it, you know, or with Jonathan Edwards, uh, that inspires people to to go and do the same, right? Yeah, we're all looking for inspiration. We want to be inspired. So yeah, yeah so we're looking for stories that will do that for us. Mm-hmm. But sometimes those kind of stories um, leave out some of the realities, I think. Yeah. They try to simplify the narrative a little bit too much mm-hmm. um, so and you... leave out some of the complexities and nuances. <laughs> and what were some of those that you found? Well, you have to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't Um, have to get into that. Basically, the the idea (laughs) is uh, there's this story that was held up and maybe it wasn't quite as true as it was made to sound. And that's some of what you explore? Yeah, I think there's some of that there. I mean, there's also the fact that when you read a book as a child... Um, only the only the glorious high notes kind of stick with you because mm. you don't have any framework yet for understanding pain and suffering. So the pain and suffering that you read about just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like all the glorious moments inspire you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I don't want to blame the books entirely. Um, but at the same time, I think that there are lots of cultural nuances that those books don't get into. And that was part of what I learned living in another country um, was how, how really difficult and fraught cross-cultural communication could be. Hmm. So let me give you an example. Um, When I was teaching in Southeast Asia, sometimes I would ask my students if they wanted to come over and watch a movie with me on Friday night or whatever. And they would usually say like, Oh yes, mm, I think maybe we can. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, great, we have a movie night tonight. <laughs> and then nobody would show up that night. Hmm. Um, and what I learned eventually was that in that culture, to say no when a teacher invited you to do something was extremely disrespectful. Hmm. And so if I invited them to do something, they would never say no. If they said maybe or I think maybe, that was that was a no in their culture. Okay. That was a polite no. Mm-hmm. And so... I had to learn that like the the very basic meanings that I thought I understood what what does yes mean what does no mean <laughs> were different in that culture mm-hmm. and so there there are so many applications for something like that because what if you're a missionary and you've been studying the Bible with someone for a few weeks and you decide to ask them do you want to pray to accept Jesus as your savior tonight. Well, if you're their teacher, they're going to say yes, Mm -hmm. because they can't say no to you. It's too disrespectful. Mm -hmm. So just understanding some of those cultural nuances is so important. And I don't think that it's a thing that's talked about enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And is is that part of what you uh, help students do on these uh, trips that you were talking about? Yeah, I mean... The trips that I take students on are not mission trips. They're educational trips. So they're taking an academic course. But it is that kind of, um, it's kind of a first step towards learning how you observe another culture and then how you interpret it and how you wait a long, long time before you make any evaluations about it. Mm, More listening than talking. Yeah. Mm -hmm, Yeah. As Americans, we tend to go to other countries like little gods, <laughs> and uh, and and we don't tend to listen enough. Yeah, we tend to to drop in and and uh, give people what think we, we can think fix they all need. their problems. Yeah, 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 yeah. So talk about that a little bit more because you you bring up 
well, you walk through the etymology of, um, of the word missionary, uh, and then mm -hmm. talk through how that's evolved over time. Um, and then you go into specifically on short term missions trips. Um, and, and so I guess what yeah, I'm wondering, the history, yeah, go for it. The history of short term mission trips is just so interesting. Yeah. Well, first of all, the word missionary has been in the English language for about 400 years. And for the majority of those years, it has not been used to refer to women at all. It was a male noun. So yeah. like in 1800, you, you could have a missionary. That meant he was a male. He was probably single and celibate. He was probably Catholic and he had probably made a lifelong um, decision that he would be evangelizing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then slowly that, that definition expanded. So then it was not just Catholic, it was Catholic and Protestant. And then it was not just single, but it was single and married. But it still wasn't women. It would be like a missionary and the missionary's wife. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Until um, nearly halfway through the 1800s was when you first had uh, the word missionary being used to describe women as well as men. Mm -hmm. So for most of the history of American and British um, mission. A missionary has had this kind of limited definition. Um, and really, until the 20th century, it, it tended to mean someone who is going, who is making a sort of a lifelong decision, you know, early, early missionaries would pack their belongings in a coffin, mm -hmm. because they assumed they were not coming back unless it was inside that coffin. Hmm. But advances in technology and transportation technology meant that in the 20th century, the possibility of shorter-term trips um, became real. Mm -hmm. So in about the 1960s, after um, sort of the Peace Corps was developing and some of those sorts of things, uh, short-term mission trips became a possibility, and they were popular at first for college students. And then in the 70s, high school students began to go as well. And in the 80s and early 90s, these short-term trips really exploded in popularity. Hmm. When the short-term trips, trips got started, there were kind of two narratives explaining uh, why they existed. Yeah. So churches who created their own short-term trips said that these trips were for the spiritual growth of the students who went on them and to um, care for like, quote, the least of these. Mm -hmm. Established mission agencies had a different narrative. They would say that the short-term trips were about helping established missionaries or, like, recruiting potential missionaries. So established mission agencies wouldn't even call the people who went on a two-month trip, they wouldn't call them missionaries. Mm -hmm. They would call them, like, potential missionaries or someone who's coming to help the missionaries. Yeah. But... By the time, by the 90s, when these trips had gotten so popular um, with individual churches, uh, the other narrative kind of won out. So the short-term trip became a trip that was about spiritual growth of the people who went on it and serving the least of these. And, um, and, and we started calling people who went on trips that were two months or one year missionaries, even though historically we never would have. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so the short-term mission trip is a really new, like historically, that's a very new idea. Right. And I think that there are a lot of things that we have not done well with it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and one of those things is, like I said, I think we have this tendency to, we decide what we think another place needs, and we go in and bring it, mm-hmm. and then we leave. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually Andy Crouch who uses the term little gods. We fly in like little gods, fix a problem, and fly out again. Um, but if you talk with people from other countries and find out what they need, you'll f- you'll find that they're often that people come and start a conversation, hmm. open up a relationship, and create something that is reciprocal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, um, I feel like I've been going on and on, but just to <laughs> give kind of an example <laughs> of how we can fly in like little gods, um, imagine. And, and, you know, there are all kinds of short-term trips, and some are so much, do so much good, and others, um, I think, actually do some harm. And, yeah. and then there are some that are probably more neutral. But imagine that you've got a team of high school students who are going to go and build a school in a village in Central America. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're there. They're high schoolers. They don't actually have any training in construction, but they are happy to work and very willing to serve, and they have a heart for the Lord. So they're there building this school, and a local man walks by. He's out of work. There are no jobs available. He's strong. He maybe has some experience in construction or carpentry. What if instead of these high schoolers flying in, they had created a job for him in building the school? And then maybe the wages he would have earned, he could have used to pay the textbook fees when his daughter was enrolling in that school in the fall. Right. So like instead of of actually um, talking to people on the ground, finding out what their needs are, we can tend to just see a need, fly and fix it and fly out again. And that can end up uh, causing a lot more problems because it can leave people on the ground feeling like they have no agency. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I read some books for my book that go into this so much more. And so if people are interested I would really recommend they check out the book Short-Term Mission and Ethnography of Christian Travel Narrative and Experience by Brian Howell, who's a professor at Wheaton College. Um, Also, the chapter in Andy Crouch's book Playing God is a great chapter on um, his his chapter on injustice is is really great on this. Okay, nice. Yeah, we'll link to all of those um, in the show notes. It's I mean, I think it's very apparent that. that short-term missions trips are, uh, there's some gray there. They're not all bad. They're not all good. Um, yeah. and, and I think we assumed for a while that they were all good. And, and growing up, you and I went on short-term missions trips <laughs> yeah, to Mexico and Ukraine and, you know, wherever. Um, it, so let's say that you're talking with someone who wants to go on a short-term missions trip. What advice would you give them about that? I would want them to have a lot of curiosity. Okay. So before they decide to go on that trip, I would want them to ask a lot of questions about why they're going, where they're going, what they're going to do there, how it's been decided, what they're going to do there. Um, but more than that, I would want them to really consider the way that they talk about their trip. Hmm. So, you know, if we're talking about our trip as like a chance for me to grow in my spiritual faith, and, you know, that is often how we frame short-term trips. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we come back from them and we say things like, they taught me so much more than I taught them. They gave me so much more than I gave them. If that's the narrative we're using about our trips, then it doesn't seem quite right to call them missions trips. Hmm. 
because the the goal is a personal spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. So I would I would love to recommend that people consider renaming these trips. Mm. I think a trip a trip like that could be fine, but what if we called it a vision trip? Mm-hmm. What if you wrote to supporters and said and instead of saying like, please support me so that I can take God's love to this country. Like as if God's love isn't already in that country, you know, (laughs) if God isn't already everywhere. But you know, what if instead you wrote to them and were like, if you'd like to invest in me and my spiritual growth, would you consider supporting me on this trip so that I can go see how God is working in this part of the world? Yeah. A simple reframing of a trip. Hmm. And then when you're training short termers before they leave, you should train train short-termers before they leave. Um, you need to train them in all kinds of things, hmm. not necessarily in methods of evangelism, but it's like if you take a little kid to an art museum. The kid is not going to be able to understand most of what she sees there. Mm-hmm. But if before you go, you teach her a few things, um, you teach her what pointillism is or, you know, impressionism. Mm-hmm. Then when she goes to the museum and sees it, she'll recognize it. Yeah. So in the same way, before you take teenagers to a foreign culture, teach them a little bit about the language, about the economic structures in place, about mm-hmm. the history. Mm-hmm. And then when they see things there, they'll have a framework to fit that into. Yeah. I think that that would make a huge difference. Yeah, I think that's really, really wise advice. Um, I remember, I mean, my my trip to Ukraine, I think my junior year of high school was sort of the classic short-term missions thing. Two weeks at an orphanage uh, where mm-hmm. we put on a camp for the kids and fell in love with the kids. And, you know, when we were leaving, we said, we will be back. Um, mm. And something that has always stuck with me is the guy who was there full time said, no, you won't. Yeah. (laughs) And we were like, what are you talking about? He's like, everybody says they will come back and nobody does. Um, and that was like, just walking away from that. It made me question is what we just did actually all that helpful. Um, and, and so I think it's good that, that you've spent so much time researching that, exploring that. And then, offering this up as, as sort of a reframing. Cause maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe if we told the guy on the ground, Hey, we, we want to come and serve and we want our, our people to be exposed to another culture and we want them to see what God is doing in another part of the world. Um, yeah. but we're not coming here. We we're coming to learn from you rather than coming to provide you with the help that you need. I think even that reframing can, uh, sort of redeem, um, redeem these trips a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's that's good, and and you explore that more in the book. And so we don't want to we we don't want to give every <laughs> everything away here. We want and, and actually the narrative in the book, um, outside of sort of these these uh, thematic uh, areas that we're talking about right now, just the narrative of of your personal experience um, is fascinating. Oh yeah, and, and I haven't told you much about the story yet. Have no, I? no. <laughs> And you can, um, but I just want to give a ringing endorsement. I mean, the writing is, uh, beautiful, um, easy to follow. It's, it's hard to walk a line between, um, you know, like there are books that are easy to read because they've sort of been dumbed down to be easy to read. I think about something like, uh, 
Harry Potter. It's a book that's easy to read. I think it's it's well written. What am I trying to say? Your book, the, the yeah, put, you better be careful, careful yeah. here because uh, some of my siblings are not going to be very happy about <laughs> you using here. <laughs> I only read like a few chapters of Harry Potter, so I don't even really know what I'm talking about. It was. I, I, I think everybody knows what you mean. Yeah, like the 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 quality, the just how beautiful your prose is, while at the same time being easy to read and digest. Um, that's just, I just want to give a ringing endorsement for that outside of, well, thank of you. these, yeah, of these super interesting themes that, that you explore. Do you want to get into the narrative at all? Well, I mean, I don't want people to think that this book is all about like missiology and how we do what we do and the history of the word, because mm -hmm. really that's actually a very small part of it. The book is a story. Yep. Um, and it's, yeah, a story of a spiritual coming of age. Um, and I'll just give a, a little teaser. Um, <laughs> okay. I won't tell the whole story, but, so I went to a country um, that I can't name in the book because of what happened while I was there. Some of my students and friends may still be in danger even now, more than a decade later. Hmm. Um, and I was teaching English at a university and I was, I, you know, the, the country knew I was there as a Christian English teacher. Um, even though they didn't admit missionaries, they admitted me as as an admittedly Christian English teacher. So I was just there teaching my classes, living my life, making friends. And one day a student knocked on my door and said, are you a Christian? Brian in the Backstreet Boys is a Christian. <laughs> so she was a huge fan of the Backstreet Boys and through them <laughs> had heard about um, Christianity and she wanted to know more about it. Oh, wow. And that was the beginning of a wonderful friendship with a girl who was just so thoughtful. I don't want you to think because she was a fan of the Backstreet Boys that she was not thoughtful. She was a poet herself. She was incredibly thoughtful um, and, and curious. And so we started studying the Bible together. And after a few months, she became a Christian. And then some more of her friends became Christians. Um, and while I was home for summer break after my first year of teaching there, I was planning to return. It was, I was just home for two months. Um, but while I was home, the police caught her and her friends studying the Bible together and brought them into the station and interrogated them and, and then kind of interrogated them repeatedly over the summer. And eventually, as a result of that, you know, they, the police found out they got their Bibles from me. And so they revoked my visa. And I ended up spending the next year in Cambodia. A uh, totally different country. So, and, and that was when my faith really went in a tailspin and dark night of the soul. And I was questioning a lot about, you know, whether I had done something good or not mm -hmm. in my first year. Mm. Um, if I had caused more harm than good and, um, and what it meant to trust God who acted in such strange and mysterious ways. Mm. So the second mm. half of the book goes more into those themes of disillusionment with God and kind of coming to a mature adult faith for mm. the first time. Mm. Yeah. I want to read that again, even as you're talking about <laughs> it. It was so good. Um, yeah, that, that's so interesting. We're, uh, we're showing a film at park church on Wednesday, January 18th. The podcast might be up before that. So if, if it's before the 18th and you guys are listening and, and forgot about that, you should go. It's called poverty Inc. Have you heard of it? No, it's, it's a film that, um, explores the history of, of, uh, poverty alleviation, um, and how there have mm. been unintended consequences with that as well. Um, 
it, it's an interesting thing to consider being a Christian in a broken world, trying to mm -hmm. do good things for God. Um, but then still interacting with brokenness and then still wondering how God is good in the, in the midst of that. Um, and having to fight against, I think cynicism and disillusionment that will necessarily come up whenever your efforts, you, you feel the pushback against your efforts. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's a lot of what you explore in the back half of that book, right? Mm, yeah, that movie sounds really good. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that that's like, I think a struggle that we just have to live with is how we continue to fight against justice without um, casting ourselves as the heroes or the white saviors in mm. that fight mm -hmm. for justice, mm -hmm. right? And for me, a part of um, a part of the answer to that paradox is mm. <laughs> um, trusting in or 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 resting in our status as the beloved of God. Yeah. And so that everything that we do comes out of a strong assurance that we are fully loved by God apart from what we do. Hmm. And regardless of whether we any good or not, we are fully loved. And, and I think that anything good we try to do in the world has to begin from that foundation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a thing that we, a passage that we come back to a lot um, amongst the staff here at Park Church, uh, Ephesians 3, uh, starting in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in mm -hmm. love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Um, so you start from a place of being rooted and grounded in God's love for you, and then from mm -hmm. that place you're able to go um, and, and do good works. Uh, but yeah, and the danger is really in w when we start um, from a sense of our own desire to do good works, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you start from that, I, I love how that verse is in the message. It says, um, and I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extract extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Hmm. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Hmm. That's good. You know, that's not, there's no guilt in that. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we, we try to do good out of this sense of guilt or shame for the privilege that we have. Hmm. Um, as Americans or as Christians or as wealthy people or as white people, we feel guilty for a privilege. And so we want to do some good and fight for justice out of guilt, but that's mm. the wrong motivation to start mm. with. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, okay. So let's thinking about coming out of this season in Cambodia, you know, you met Jack, you guys got married. And then since then, like you said, you've, you've been in, rural in Indiana for seven years, you have uh, children now. Um, so to go from 
I'm going to uh, save the world and and convert people to Christianity to a, a quieter life uh, with kids, um, you know, with, in a bunch of land. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, um, what was that shift like for you? Um, and, and what have you learned about being faithful in a radically different context? Mm, yeah, great question. Um, I, I remember really beginning to struggle with this after I'd been back in the States for about maybe a year and a half. And Jack and I had been married for, for just a few months. And back then, he was actually working at a garden nursery, and I was teaching at a private Christian high school. And I remember having a conversation with him where I said, I just, I'm having the hardest believing that anything that I'm doing matters. Like hmm. there are, you know, a dozen churches within five miles of me and these rich, white, privileged kids have all kinds of adults ready to um, support or mentor or speak into their lives. And, and wouldn't it be so much more useful if I were back in Southeast Asia, like giving students an actual skill that they needed for a job, like teaching them how to speak English so that they could get jobs as English teachers. Like Hmm. I felt needed there and I didn't feel needed. Hmm. Um, I I didn't feel like the work I was doing was valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, But as we talked about that, we also started talking about a book that I was reading at the time, which is by N.T. Wright and, um, oh, what is it called? Uh, Surprised by Hope. Yeah. And so in Surprised by Hope, have you read it? You gave it to me and I've read some of it, not all of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a book to read slowly because the ideas are, are, um, it's not dense in that it's hard to read, but it's like a lot to take in. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I remember like growing up, people in the church used to say only two things will last the word of God and the souls of men. <laughs> but as I was reading NT Wright, I realized like, that's not from the Bible, right? <laughs> the Bible says all things will be made new. Hmm. Um, and, and that Jesus is going to come back here, um, to stay and that he's going to bring the fullness of the kingdom that he ushered in when he first came and he's going to bring, build the new heavens and the new earth here. Mm -hmm. And, and I was beginning to realize that everything mattered, not just evangelism Mm -hmm. in any way in which you're helping to usher in Christ's kingdom matters, Mm -hmm. whether, you know, and so there's not a hierarchy of vocation. Yeah. Um, you know, if I could help one student understand while his parents were divorcing, or if I could help another student develop a healthy body image and relationship with food, then those were things I could do to help repair the broken world mm-hmm. um, and usher in the promised kingdom. Mm-hmm. And even beyond that, I mean, washing dishes yeah. is making something clean that was dirty. Mending clothes is taking something that had lost its purpose and restoring its purpose to it. Or mm. planting a garden is bringing new life. Mm. Cleaning the kitchen brings order to chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and I began to see that in all of those things, I was helping to usher in the kingdom mm-hmm. um, and that it wasn't my job to order vocations into some kind of har- hierarchy of which were more spiritual or more important for ushering in the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a book that we've gone through here, Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller, I think has helped a lot of us uh, in how mm-hmm. we think about work and vocation and, and not having a hierarchy. That's that's great. Um, even a good reminder, uh, yeah, for me right now, um, 
that, mm. that anything that we do <laughs> uh, can be uh, our part in ushering in the kingdom and, and making all things new. I love that. Um, yeah, that's good. Um, any other thoughts on that? Or should we transition into a few rapid fire questions? Mm. Oh, I love the rapid fire questions. I'm so ready for them. <laughs> okay, great. Let's, <laughs> let's do them. Uh, the first one we always do, favorite TV show, movie, uh, and or book that you've watched or read recently? Yeah, so um, favorite movie is one I saw with you over Christmas break. And that was, I think I saw it with you. Were you there when we saw Manchester by the Sea? Yes. Yes. Remember we um, had dinner beforehand? Oh, yeah, we had Thai food and then we saw it. <laughs> I, I remember somebody wasn't there yet and I couldn't remember which one it was. <laughs> Sorry. For your listeners, there are five siblings in our family. There's a lot to keep up with. <laughs> a lot to keep track of. Um, but Manchester by the Sea, it was just, it was so sad. Yeah. It was so beautifully acted and so, like, so, like, tremblingly pointing towards hope, right? Yes. I just felt like it was maybe the most real picture I've seen of what it's like to live with grief in mm. a nor in your normal daily life. Mm. Yep. And Casey Affleck was amazing. Yep. Yep. Um, totally agree. That, that one is highly recommended. And I'm going to see, uh, silence this Thursday, tomorrow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's, that's the day it comes into wide release. Yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah. I, so, um, I've read the book silence and, I am actually leaving the country on Friday, so I probably won't be able to see the movie for another couple of weeks. But okay. I had a chance to write um, an opinion piece about my, how my experience overseas and the movie Silence relate to each other, because I think there are a lot of similar themes between those two stories. Um, and that is going to be published at Fox News probably on Friday. So oh, nice. okay. uh, I'll get you the link and maybe you can put it in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. We will do that. Um, and I'll let you know if it's any good. <laughs> the it, movie or it, my <laughs> Well, both. both. <laughs> okay, cool. No, we've never had a problem uh, sharing our opinions in this family. Yeah, that's going to be another really devastating movie, just like Manchester. I know. I know. Um, TV show? Um, probably my favorite TV show of the fall is one that I cannot like wholeheartedly recommend to a, a wide audience, okay. but I'm going to talk about it anyway. So <laughs> it's a, it was a, um, a kind of comedy. I think it was on TBS and it was called search party. Okay. Did you watch any of that? No, I haven't seen it. I think the only way to watch it now is maybe if you buy the episodes on Amazon, which okay. I think Katie did. So you could probably watch them on her account. <laughs> <laughs> but so search party is sort of like um nancy drew meets hbo's girls um it's these millennials in new york um just post-college and they find out that one of their acquaintances from college has just been listed as a missing person and so one of them in particular decides she wants to start searching for her and so she's following clues nancy drew style but the show is really funny and it is kind of a satire of millennials, but I think like not in a mean way. Okay. <laughs> um, it's kind of like, it almost reminds me of like if Jane Austen were writing a satire about millennials, <laughs> like I feel like it's that on the nose. Cause you okay. know, Jane Austen's comedies of manners were kind of satirizing the social groups of her time. So sure. I feel like search party is kind of in a, in a really good way, satirizing um, millennial 
millennials. Yeah. In a, um, in a smart way, not a snarky way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, and it has, the main character is that, that girl who played maybe in Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so okay. it's really good. All right, cool. I'm sold. I'll check that out. Um, and then book that you've read recently. I think I know which which one this is. Yeah. Well, because I brought it home over Christmas break and like read half of it out loud to everyone. Half of it. I think you table. read the whole thing out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, University Press sent me a copy of this book. Um, it's called The Road Back to You, and it's about the Enneagram, yeah. which is a personality typing system that's really popular right now. And, you know, I've had friends who are into the Enneagram for, for years, and I looked at it and just thought, eh, like, this isn't telling me anything really helpful. But then when I started reading through this book, I felt so named by mm. my chapter. Hmm. And, and Jack did too. And as we, so we read it together and then we talked about like what we saw of ourselves in our chapters. And it was honestly like really good for our relationship and for our marriage. And I think it's helped us like recognize, oh, like you're acting this way right now, like because that's part of your fourness. Jack is a type four. And, And so I think you probably, this is so popular among evangelicals right now you've probably heard people talking about it right oh yeah, oh, yeah. our deaconess of music uh chichi agorum we we had a happy hour on monday all the band leaders did and she has now sent us our codes to take the enneagram so we can learn about how we uh relate to god especially maybe even in our uh our music leading so yeah it's it's all over the place um and, and i have to say the stuff that you read, um, EA is a four as well. My wife, EA, Elizabeth uh-huh. Ann. Um, and there have been some times where I'm like, wow, you're really leaning into your fourness right now, aren't you? Uh, and, <laughs> Actually, the morning after I read her page yeah. to her, she came up to me and she was like, I'm so glad you read that to me yesterday because I was having all these emotions this morning. And then I just realized, oh, like I'm a four. <laughs> 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 and it like helped her, you know process the emotions or the lack of emotions or whatever to know that that was part of who she was. And I think it gives you, uh, as a, as a spouse, it gives you like the ability to empathize with whenever that starts to happen, you're, you you can both laugh about it and empathize with it. Um, Mm -hmm. because you know, okay, you're kind of leaning into, into some poorness right now. Um, which is on one hand funny. And on the other hand, like let's figure out, what's up here. And, and I don't have to take it personally and I don't have to be, right. um, I, I can just say, this is part of who you are and how can I help you process through this? Um, and then whenever I don't process through anything, she can say, you're really leaning into your eight right now. And you need to, <laughs> you need to tell me about some of your emotions and what's going on in there. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm with you. I would recommend the Enneagram. It's helpful. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. How about this? Uh, nerdiest thing that you're into right now? The the thing that like you kind of don't want to tell us that you're into. <laughs> um, I guess probably the nerdiest thing I'm into right now is, I mean, if the Enneagram doesn't count, <laughs> then um, maybe cross stitching. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this happens to me usually in December. I get like this urge to cross stitch or may- maybe so. But this December, I just I think that the thing I like about it is that you can be at a social gathering um, or at a family gathering, not really a social gathering and like 
still do something with your hands. And like, as a five, <laughs> I'm really introverted and I don't like, um, I don't always want to be like jumping into conversations, but I want to, so if I want to be there, I can like be working on my little cross stitch and still feel like I'm present and a part of things <laughs> while also accomplishing something. And yeah. I don't know. So yeah. yeah, I did a lot of cross stitching over the last month. <laughs> I have a friend who's, who's, uh, introverted and, uh, we've had some of our best conversations while we're playing video games because we don't, yeah. we don't have to look at each other. You know, there's, there's sort of a freedom and like we're doing something together or like cleaning the kitchen. I've had really good conversations mm -hmm. with people while we're doing something. So that, that makes sense to me. Working a puzzle. Yep. Even sometimes going on a drive just because you're not like making eye contact. You're both looking forward. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Best meal that you had recently. Ooh, that is a great question. We um, love food in our family. In our family, we really love food. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I always, I'm always glad to get back after like Christmas vacation traveling for two weeks. And then when I get back, I feel like renewed energy for meal planning mm. because I haven't been cooking for myself for a few weeks. So, um, I've been having, I've been cooking a lot of good things, but I think I'm going to tell you about what I'm going to have on Friday night. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's going to be the best meal. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going out of the country on Saturday morning. So on Friday night, um, Jack and I are going to make braised short ribs and mm. goat cheese polenta. Ooh. The recipe is from the Pioneer Woman, so you can link to it in your show notes. Okay. But, it is so good, like the tenderest beef, and we got some beef from a local farm here, nice. and you just cook it for a long time in like stock and red wine with rosemary and bay leaves, and it is really delicious. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely look for that, because <laughs> we might be making that Friday night, too, now that you mention it. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a recommendation out of my own. Uh, EA and I have been doing, we, we got a few weeks of Blue Apron for Christmas. Um, so if you haven't heard of Blue Apron, they will send you the ingredients uh, for, I think, three meals in a week. And you can get them for two people or four people. Um, but I, I, Mike Cosper said something on the first uh, episode of this show uh, where he he said, if, you f if you're feeling weak spiritually, uh, he said, take a look at what, what you're eating and how you're mm -hmm. eating it. Yeah. Um, and he said, if you're eating in your car, you're eating at your desk and you're eating fast food or you're, you know, just grabbing a bag of chips or whatever. Um, there's a real spiritual discipline and beauty in taking time to make something with your hands, um, and sit down and eat it together. Um, mm -hmm. and that has been awesome for us. So that's just a re recommendation that I'll throw out there. I mean, that's just another example of how like, um, our, our faith is like whole person, right? Yeah. So it's not just like the, the words of God and the souls of men that will last forever, but like right. our spirituality is embodied. Mm. And so, yes, of course, what you eat matters yep. just to bring it back. But yep. also, <laughs> um, I will, I should also say that my favorite podcast lately besides yours has been Mike Cosper's new podcast. It's so good. Um, yeah. What is it called? Cultivated again. Cultivated, yes. I've left everything I've listened to on that. Yep. Um, I actually just listened oh, to... Also, oh, go ahead. Well, if you're going to blur Blue Apron, you should get them to pay you. <laughs> <laughs> that is like a thing they do. 
Go. Yeah, well, I think we might need to grow our audience a little bit more. So again, <laughs> hop into iTunes and rate and review us. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, Cultivated is amazing. He he um, actually for Park Church folks, he just did an interview with Latifa Phillips from uh, Page CXVI, who has they've led worship here. Moda Spira played at our most recent symposium, uh, so his interview with her was fascinating. Uh, so definitely check out Mike's podcast, Cultivated. Um, yeah, so good. Okay, this will be the last question, and you, if it's if it's too big of a question uh, to <laughs> wrap it up, we can we don't have to do it. I'm stealing this one from Tim Ferriss. Speaking of podcasts that I like, uh, the Tim Ferriss podcast is really interesting. Um, and a question that he will often ask guests is, if you could put a billboard anywhere in the world, where would you put it and what would it say? Oh, my gosh. That is a really interesting question. <laughs> right? Oh. Well, are billboards really that effective? <laughs> well, probably not. <laughs> probably not. It could be a small um, print billboard a small billboard somewhere <laughs> um i don't know that's that's a great question uh, i think you know if you're asking me like what message do i want to send to the world yeah. or to one part of the world most it depends on the part of the world like right now i really want to send some messages to americans <laughs> about making better choices with our political leaders <laughs> Um, but I'm not sure what exactly I would put on the billboard <laughs> or where in America would be the, the best spot to do that. Yeah. Um, well, we saw some interesting billboards driving into Arkansas, didn't we? Oh yes. Yeah. You always do. So maybe you could just <laughs> I, put one next to one of those billboards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't know if billboard is the right way to reach the audience, but probably not. I guess I think that relationship is probably the right way to, uh, actually affect some change. So maybe a billboard that says stop reading this and, and go make some friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds good. Okay. Uh, good. Well, um, thank you for the time and, um, I'm, I'm pumped for your book to come out. I'm, I'm excited for hopefully a lot of our listeners to grab it and read it. Um, and thankful for the voice that you are, uh, in this Christian sphere and, uh, yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, you are a great question asker and you have a <laughs> superb radio voice. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, I always love talking to you. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode of the Park Church Podcast. Thanks again to all of you who uh, tune in and, and check it out. Um, if you have any thoughts, suggestions, comments, uh, or, or suggestions of people that I should interview, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can email me, james at parkchurchdenver.org. Um, and last time I'll say it, please hop in and rate us and review us on iTunes. That's super helpful as we try to get this podcast out to more listeners. Uh, so yeah, thanks so much. And we'll see you next month with the next episode of the Park Church Podcast.